say goodbye to the kids. And let's take a few moments to uh, be silent and lift up our prayers to God. God, we approach you this morning. I um, just want to thank you for allowing us to be here together. Uh, God, I pray that this uh, this time would benefit those who, uh, who, are, who are here today. Uh, and we thank you for the opportunity to, to be able to worship you freely uh, in, our, in our free country. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so how's everyone's 4th of July? Good. Good? All right. Uh, Mine was a little different than probably most of yours. Y'all's was probably filled with uh, food, uh, patriotic stuff. I was uh, waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go come here, back to the United States. I spent uh, all of last week in Guatemala uh, on a mission trip uh, with Living Water. If you don't know anything about Living Water, let me just go ahead and uh, kind of tell you what they do. Uh, they're an organization that operates in uh, 27 different countries. And they provide clean water to remote villages uh, uh, and give them, they give them the opportunity to have clean water to drink. Uh, and it really is a crisis in these areas because the water that they drink uh, comes from hand-dug wells. And what they'll do, they'll dig with, uh, whether it be shovels, uh, you know, whatever tools they have, and they'll dig to about uh, average uh, hand-dug wells, about 30 feet. Uh, and they, they drink the water from them. What happens is they have their restroom wells, so you have, and they don't put them far enough away from the, the wells that they're drinking from, so the soil is absorbing the, the contaminants from their restroom wells, and it's contaminating the water. And there's a, there's a huge problem, and especially in third world countries, who the people aren't educated uh, about uh, the, the problems of water contamination. And so Living Water's mission is to provide not only clean water, but educate the people about the wells and teach them how to use them. So that's what we got to do. Uh, I had the opportunity, I've, I've taken four years of Spanish, so I was able to communicate fairly well with the people there. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk with lots of the, the kids, the, uh, you know, the young adults and the, and the older leaders of the village. Uh, it's always a, you know, a humbling experience to, to go to these other countries and see how they live. Uh, so I, I was actually talking to, you know, it, the ages range from, you know, little, little boys and girls to all the way up to the men in their 60s. And to hear their stories was, was really amazing. <coughs> I talked to uh, two women who were probably in their 20s or 30s who had actually, in their teens, walked up from Guatemala to the United States and uh, crossed the border legally. Uh, two separate ones. Who, they didn't go together or anything. Uh, the conversation actually started. I said, well, where'd you get your, uh, he had a Lone Star tattoo on his shoulder. I said, where'd you get your tattoo? He said, Houston, Texas. I said, oh, really? So we had a, had a conversation about how he uh, spent three years here washing dishes, uh, uh, you know, just living as an illegal immigrant. So it really was interesting to, to uh, see how they live and hear their stories. Uh, this was actually, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it was my third trip to Guatemala. Uh, so... Uh, always, always a rewarding experience. Uh, so yeah, my, my Fourth of July was uh, was di different, probably. But uh, so the summertime, we're in the summertime, and I I like to call it the season of mission trips. 
So this is uh, the time when schools, youth groups, uh, church groups are all going on mission. And I think a lot of times we just kind of jump into it. It's something to do over the summer. It's, it's uh, giving us uh, something to do, but we don't always remember why we're, why we're going on mission, you know. And, and don't get me wrong, mission trips are fun and everything, and we're actually going on one in about a week. Is that right? We're going to Baton Rouge to paint houses, and I'm just as excited for that one. Uh, but I think oftentimes we, we, we forget to remember why we're on mission. So today, I want to take a step back and uh, examine the Great Commission, which is found in uh, Matthew 28. If you want to go ahead and flip there, we're going to be camped out there pretty much for the whole service. Uh, so here we have, uh, so what I want to do is examine the historical background of this text. I want to do a few things. So if, you have, if you're taking notes, uh, this, is, this, is my, this is my outline. Uh, we're going to go through the historical background. We're going to examine the text from a, a grammatical standpoint. We're going to examine uh, what the text means for the church as a whole, as a body of believers. And we're going to go uh, and examine what it means for us individually as uh, individual believers and what it, what it calls us to. So let's go ahead and get into... Uh, well, well, I can't get there. I have to read it first. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So that's kind of where... Uh, we're going to camp out today. So just to get some historical background, you know, where is Jesus in his ministry at this time? Where are the disciples? What, what's going on? Why are we reading this? Uh, so if you look up, uh, the beginning of chapter 28 is the resurrection. So here we have Jesus uh, he's in his resurrected form, his ghostly form. Uh, he's passing through doors, you know, parading around. Hey, I beat death, acting like he's the son of God or something. Um, Oh, that was my only joke. Yet in <laughs> okay, okay, All right. Um, so here we have Jesus, kind of, you know, uh, parading around, like saying, "Hey, devil, I, I beat you. You know, what are you gonna do now?" So this is actually one of the last times we see Jesus addressing the disciples. Um, and we're and so we have Jesus. That's where Jesus is in his ministry. Where are the disciples? The disciples, it says, some of them doubted. You know, so they're just kind of, they're still in their dumb state. You know, they're not, they're not the men of, they haven't received the spirit yet. You're not the, they're not the men of God we see in the book of Acts or that kind of thing. They're still kind of in the dark almost. Uh, and so the, another interesting thing I want to point out about uh, the, the setting of where Jesus is, uh, where is Jesus physically? He, it says he went up to the mountain that he commanded them. So as we look throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see that uh, mountains played a significant role. Uh, just to name a couple, uh, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which was kind of Jesus' peak of his ministry. It was uh, his most famous teaching that he, that he delivered. And we also have the, uh, we, obviously this, and we have the uh, Mount Temptation where Satan is offering Jesus. So anytime we see Jesus go up to a mountain, it's, it's almost like uh, we're going to see Jesus uh, transformed, not are kind of a, a defining moment for Jesus is when he's on a mountain. So we have Jesus here 
on a mountain. And the mount of temptation is when Satan offered Jesus uh, the opportunity to gain the whole world if only Satan would worship him. And obviously Jesus resisted the temptation for 40 days um, and it was over. So I think uh, the, the couple commentaries I read draw a, a, a parallel between the Great Commission when Jesus is saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, and the Mount of Temptation where we have Jesus uh, being offered that. So here we have Jesus. Uh, this is kind of a slap in the face to the devil. He's resurrected. He's beat death. He's accomplished his mission on earth. And we have Jesus uh, you know, giving this commandment to the disciples, his kind of the last final hurrah before he ascends to heaven. So that's kind of where we are historically. That's, that's where Jesus is. Uh, and so I think that's important to realize as we read this text, kind of get a background for what we're, uh, what the meat of the, the text is. So let's go ahead and move on to the grammatical uh, aspect of the text. We're going to focus in on uh, verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So I'm not a Greek scholar. But fortunately, we have one, Mike Skinner, and he kind of uh, gave me some uh, uh, guidance on this. In the Greek, we have one verb and three participles in this text, uh, the verb being uh, make, as in make disciples. Excuse me. Uh, go might look like a verb in English, but that's actually a, uh, a, <clears throat> a participle in the Greek. So it should read... As you are going, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. So uh, that's there's one verb and three participles. So I'm going to kind of break it down into these three or four different kind of commands from Jesus and help us digest them a little slower and smaller pieces so we can uh, better understand this text. Uh, so we have the first one, which is the verb, make disciples. Um, and there's actually a lot of material out there that that's focused on uh, uh, disciple-making, how it builds up the kingdom. Uh, and just, just the, best, the best advice that's ever been given to me on discipleship is that we're to have um, a mentor and someone we're mentoring. So that's really, that's the first step of the church is making other disciples. Uh, before we can go teach, before we can baptize, and before uh, we're, we can go, we have to make disciples first. So that's kind of the, the first thing that Jesus wants us to do is make disciples. Um, so like I said, we should have a mentor and someone who we're mentoring. And this system kind of, you know, it's really building up the kingdom. And that's uh, what Jesus wants for us here. That's why he's saying make disciples. Okay, we're going to move on to the, part of the first participle, which is going. So as you are going, make disciples. Uh, once we've made disciples, Jesus, or we are disciples, Jesus doesn't tell us to stay in one place. He doesn't tell us to stay in your comfort zone, uh, be, and just stay where you're at, uh, talk to each other about it. No, we're, we have a natural, it comes from this. It's kind of our foundation for missions is to go. He tells us to go, preach, uh, be light in the dark world. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where, uh, what Jesus wants there. He's telling us to go and be light, be salt and light to the world. Um, the the uh, what's the next? It is uh, baptizing. So baptizing, the way it was always taught to me was like a wedding ring. It's this uh, idea that we are 
we're, it's a symbolic representation that we're accepted into the kingdom of God. Um, so it's, we're, we're showing everyone, hey, I'm, I'm wearing this. I'm, I'm a member of the kingdom of God. Uh, so that's, that's just a symbolic representation of uh, being in the kingdom. And we have the last one, which is uh, teaching. And if teaching is a big term. It, means, it can mean a variety of things. But what I think Jesus uh, wants from us here is to teach uh, foundational truths about God and his ministry and his kingdom. Uh, you know, these, these things that aren't up for debate, the, the, the core of, of the gospel, and so that we can carry that with us and take it wherever we may need to go. Um, so what does this text mean for us as a church? Why are we, what can we, what can the church learn from this? As I was preparing for the sermon, we, I, I ran across a couple books by a man named Alan Hirsch. If you have the chance, I would highly recommend to, to read him. Uh, he is a proponent, a proponent for uh, an idea of a missional church. So what is a missional church and how, how can we kind of embrace that idea and be a missional church? So the way I read it and understood it, uh, a missional church is kind of this free flow of missionaries, disciples, people who are going out into the world and then coming back every Sunday. So I almost thought of it like an accordion, like you're a slinky. So you, know, you get separated and then you come back together every Sunday to remember you know, Christ's sacrifice for us. Another way I thought about it was like an atom. So if you know anything about atoms, there's what's called the electron cloud model of the atom. So, yeah, no, it's, I, we're not in school or anything, but I'm still thinking about it. Um, have the nucleus, which is made up of protons and neutrons, and then we have these electrons that are constantly spinning around the atom, or kind of tied into uh, the atom, and they're held by the nucleus. So I think uh, it's, it's and for the church, the, the doctrine of God, you know, what we believe about Christ is the nucleus, your protons, and your neutrons, and the people are the electrons, constantly moving. You know, sometimes they, they jump over to another atom. You know, people leave church, they come and go, and you know, not, for, not for bad reasons, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully for good reasons. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, constantly going. And the other thing about Adam that atoms are constantly moving, they're constantly shaking, they're constantly doing something. You know, the atoms in this paper are, are moving, believe it or not. Um, so that I think in the same way, the church is always supposed to be doing something, you know, working to benefit the, the surrounding world. We're never supposed to be an idle church. And I think that's kind of what we can learn from uh, the, uh, the idea of this missional church. And I want to talk briefly about the church that we visited in Guatemala that I think kind of really embodies this idea of a missional church. It's called Iglesia del Camino, which translates in English to uh, Church of the Way. Uh, this is a church in Antigua, Guatemala. It is a, uh, a bilingual church. And from the get-go, I've always felt, oh, I've been there three times on each of my mission trips there. Uh, and I've always felt welcomed and, uh, you know, just with open arms. Uh, it's really been surreal for me uh, because it is a bilingual church. And, you know, you have these handouts that they print. And if you think about it, everything is written in Spanish and English, which takes double the time and the resources to, to print this material. And just to think about that for me, it was 
it was uh, awesome that this church is opening up to two different people groups in this city because you have a lot of people who retire to the community and you have the natives who it's opening the door to all of them who might not ever uh, have been able to interact previously. And so that for me was really cool. Also, uh, this church, if you, there's a lot of uh, short-term missionaries in Guatemala, uh, and this church uh, apparently is the hotspot for them. There was about, the, the ratio of short-term missionaries to regular attendees was about 80 to 20. Uh, so it was, it was a little awkward, because uh, there weren't a lot of regular attendees. But I think that this church really uh, had, had a great opportunity to minister to these uh, to us, the short-term missionaries who were there, and they, you know, I think it would be easier for that church to discourage the short-term missionaries from going there. You know, if you, th- they're they're kind of a uh, almost a nuisance because you know we we go and we never come back. It's like you know you give five bucks and it's, it's gone. Um, so to just to think about how uh, this church, you know, could had had the opportunity to minister to to all these short-term missionaries. Who were probably never going to come back was was just um, cool to me, and I think that's something that we can take hold of, and you know maybe try to to apply to our church that we are to embrace any any t- uh, people group, and we are to be a missional church. Uh, the other thing that I think we can learn from the text corporately, and I read also in these books. Uh, this idea that Jesus is Lord. Um, so when we start out with this, with uh, the the concept that Jesus is Lord, and those three words have a huge implication for us. That is, that He's over every aspect of our lives. Uh, Mr. Hirsch says that there can be no non-God area of our lives because He is King, because He's Lord over us. Um, so I think, and there's this idea. Um, it's interesting to me. I never thought about it before. This was all new. Uh, so it was, it was cool that, for me to think in terms of, you know, we, we make the, we call the church the house of God, and we make it kind of this uh, sacred place when really we're, we are the church in, as, as individuals. You know, corporately we are the church, and indivi- as individuals we carry the power of the gospel with us wherever we go. So it kind of breaks down the the difference between the, this idea of a secular place and a sacred place, because if there's a, a church member there, then the gospel is there. So we see this in the modern world today that we have uh, Christian rappers in, in music in the music world, uh, Christian rappers, Christian metal bands, uh, just places that you never would have previously thought that the gospel could go. It's there and it's moving. It's doing things. So I think that's interesting for us to take uh, as as a corporate uh, body of believers and as individuals, as we go, we're taking the power of the gospel with us. Whether we're, we're teaching on it or not, we, we're taking it with us. Uh, and so I kind of want to move into uh, the individual relevance of the text. So what does this text mean for us as individuals? Um, it, this kind of reads as a, a guidebook for us as we're uh, you know, believers it's kind of this uh, instruction manual, you know, and it's only it's only four verses, but it has such great implications. It's uh, you know constantly uh, you know challenging us, and I just I just think it's amazing how four verses can have such a great impact on uh, the way that we we live our lives. Um, 
So I want to go through four steps of uh, kind of how we should take this text and use it in our lives. So if you're writing stuff down, uh, the first one is to move out. Uh, this is our daily lives. We're taking the gospel with us wherever we go, like I kind of mentioned before. We're taking it with us. We're bringing it to the world. Uh, okay, the second one is move in. So this is to be familiar with culture. And kind of, I've, I've gone through this a little bit. Um, so to be familiar with culture, not to completely separate ourselves from culture, but to, to be familiar with it and be able to minister to those who may be stuck in a simple part of culture. Uh, and then the third one is move alongside. This is genuine relationships that we're able to build with other people uh, uh, to further the kingdom, kind of the discipleship idea of, uh, of the Great Commission. And we also have move from. So this is moving from the evil aspects of our culture because there obviously are many. Uh, and I think as individuals, this text is a, a, both a call to missions and a call to discipleship. And we've already kind of talked about the, the call to discipleship that it gives. Uh, but I want to kind of focus in, because I got back from a mission trip yesterday, on this call to missions that uh, the Great Commission gives us. Uh, Guatemala, to me, is where I've seen the gospel um, you know, for three weeks. I've been there for three weeks total out of my life. But it's impacted me so greatly. Uh, it's the country stricken by poverty, poverty, one um, percent of the population owns eighty percent of the land in Guatemala. It's a country where there's an obvious distinction between um, uh, the, the the high class and the low class. And you know, this mission trip in particular, these are often you know these these refreshing times for me to step back and examine my life as an American and how blessed I am to, to be able to stand here and speak in this air-conditioned room um, and to be, to be able to have all the resources that I have uh, to get a good education, those kind of things. It's always, it's always been refreshing to be able to look at that and just appreciate it uh, so much more deeply. Uh, this mission trip this week in particular was <coughs> difficult for me. Uh, and the difficulty was actually me knowing more Spanish than I had before. Um, I was able to understand the kids. The kids in this particular village were very uh, mean to each other. There was a lot of, it wasn't just bullying. It wasn't like, you know, stop bullying campaign. These kids were mean to each other. Like, and it, it hurt me to see that. Um, and as I was kind of working through this difficulty of these kids just being savage to each other, you know, um, I kind of came up with this uh, motto. I took one and then just kind of added to it. Uh, we've all heard the term or the phrase "beggars can't be choosers," and then I added, you know, and neither can missionaries. Uh, missionaries don't get to choose who they serve. And that was kind of a, a big realization for me this week, was that I'm constantly being challenged to love everyone. And this, this applies to Guatemala, this applies here, uh, everywhere, everywhere I go, um, is to 
that that I, I don't get to choose who I love. I'm, I'm commanded to love everyone. I'm commanded to teach and to, um, to preach the gospel. And St. Francis said that we should preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Same idea that we're not necessarily teaching a class on the gospel, but we are supposed to be missionaries, even with our actions here. Um, and I, w I just want to close today with some, some encouragement to people who want to go on missions. Um, and I would highly recommend mission trips just because they've had such a big impact um, on my life. Um, and I would say that it's always, it's always cool to me to see God working in another country because I'm always, uh, I'm always able to see that God doesn't just speak uh, English. He speaks Spanish. He speaks all languages. We worship uh, not the American God, but the God of the universe. And that's always uh, been something that has really impressed me about our God and to just see that. Uh, but for people who uh, maybe don't have the opportunity to go on these short-term missions or long-term missions for that matter, uh, I would, I would say that I would just give encouragement and say that um, just because you don't have the opportunity does not mean that you're not benefiting the kingdom. It doesn't mean that you're um, not being uh, salt and light to the world. I would say that you know kingdom work that goes on in Guatemala and other countries. Is the same. It's for the same kingdom, for the same God, and for the same reasons as kingdom work in Houston and Sugarland. Uh, and you know, it might not seem like it, but it really is. And you know, Jesus uh, sees everything, and we worship, and we uh, we're part of a kingdom that never fails and will never end. Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, time to come together. God, I thank you that you've made us all missionaries. We are all called to the mission field. And I pray that this week as we go out, we would all be encouraged that you have sent us wherever, wherever you've called us to go. Like the song Ocean said, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. God, I pray that you would lead us this week, that you would show us opportunities to preach the gospel and to be salt and light to the world. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your great commission that, that has such a profound impact on our lives and has uh, caused us to come here uh, this week and, and give praise. So God, I pray for everyone here as we go out into our mission field this week that we would be encouraged and that we would be able, effective members of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.